Huh, I didn't realize That's that. That's an interesting question. You know, I've never heard of it from that So let's talk about that. Let's talk you know, about I think you need to come over, stand in my to shoes. Agree to disagree. This is Top of Mind. I'm Julie Rose. Welcome to Stick With It. It's our new series on the podcast, talking with people about a time when they felt their own perspective challenged in a big way and opted to stick with that discomfort rather than shut down or get defensive. Because that's our instinct usually, right? Oh, I don't agree with that. That doesn't fit with my worldview. You're wrong. I'm out of here. But what happens when we lean into that moment? We say, okay, what I'm hearing or feeling right now is making me uncomfortable. This is hard. (laughs) Tell me more. We stay curious. And as a result, we maybe have empathy for a perspective we hadn't really considered before. Or maybe we've deepened a relationship with someone in our life. Or we might just have more clarity about our own views because we've spent time really listening to the other side. And that might actually make us a better advocate for our own position. And hopefully it'll make us better friends and neighbors, too. We are interested in hearing your stick with it story. What does this look like in your life? Send an email to topofmind at byu.edu and you'll be hearing more of these conversations on the Top of Mind podcast. I'm joined now by a listener and a friend of the podcast who's got a story to share. We're going to call her Marie for privacy's sake. Welcome. Thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. Let's start a bit with the background. Um, Set the scene for us. What does this stick with it story kind of center on? Sure. So in our neighborhood, I was alerted by a neighbor that there was a person who was getting out of jail Mm -hmm. and was going to be living right next door to us. Soon after I had this kind of more like acquaintance reach out to me about it, neighbors across the street gathered the entire neighborhood for a neighborhood meeting to talk about this individual coming back into the neighborhood. And so I was expecting a discussion of like, what should we do? How are we going to handle this? But I was very surprised by how it was handled. And so we basically were presented this person's coming back into the neighborhood, you know, as, you know, good people. We're going to accept him. And did you know what his offense had been? Yes. So it was actual pedophilia. So it was and it wasn't just one instance. It was several instances. And Um, And you have kids in your home. I have. Yes, I have kids in my home. So just the idea of someone that I don't know, some Mm. of the neighbors had already known this person and had Mm. a relationship with him, but I didn't. So that was it was just a concern. And then in in the meeting, they were saying, hey, this is a good person. We're all going to embrace him. This is what we're going to do. Yes. And that was and it was discussed from the point of view of perhaps even the people in the neighborhood that had the most social clout mm. coming in and saying, if you want to be a good person, this is the view that you should accept. Huh. So I, w- I was kind of I was just surprised. And eventually I was actually kind of angry because I had legitimate fears and, again, a complete lack of knowledge about who this person was. So I wanted to be able to discuss those. But because of the group setting and then how it was being led, it was just like, I don't think this is the place for discussion. So I kind of left the meeting thinking, I have a lot of fear. I have some anger because I'm I'm afraid. And then I have to figure out how to get answers to these questions to allay some of the concerns that everything brought up going to that meeting. So you could come out of this meeting going in a number of directions, I would think. One would be... 
I'm never going to talk to my neighbors again or I'm going to go on a <laughs> I'm going to go on a campaign against what mm-hmm. the whole neighborhood wants or sure. you know, I don't know. I mean, lots of things you could have done, right? Try to undermine mm-hmm. what they were doing or immediately decide you're going to hate this guy who's moving in next door to you. Um mm-hmm. I assume you chose a slightly different path than that. Yes, okay. I did. Well, I mean, the jury's out in terms of I don't know this person and despite whatever, you know, prison record or anything that I had read or heard about him. I'm like, I want to know who this individual is, especially if my neighbors are saying I should accept this person. So over a course of time, you know, I'm talking several months, I had, you know, slight interactions, not lots of interactions. So he moves in. Yeah, he moves in. And I can see that he is legitimately trying to kind of not necessarily keep to himself, but not be overbearing and mm. just kind of live his life. Yeah. So it was kind of, it was easier for me over time again. And I think that that's what I felt. I didn't feel the sense of time in that meeting that I had any time to make a choice mm. or to have enough information to make a choice. But as time went on as an individual, I was able to see, oh, okay, this isn't as bad as I thought it would be. Okay. I've never had that experience before to have a sex offender living right next door. Not that I knew of. So it was, again, it was a first for me and I had to kind of test the waters and have some of my own personal experiences to say, oh, okay, this person's being respectful. I don't see need a need to be so concerned as much as I was before. Okay. Okay. So, so, um, Here's, I guess, the first stick with it moment for you is kind of sure. deciding, am I going to shut down? Am I going to be against this guy, even though I feel like I've been steamrolled by my neighbors and I wasn't listened to and that wasn't mm-hmm. respectful? Um, you know, is there a way that I can protect myself and my family without also sort of like ruining all these relationships? Yes. Um, and it sounds like you're a very magnanimous person who made that who made that attempt. And so what's the outcome then? Um, with that, well, if it was only that decision point. I think this would be a different conversation. But what turned out, so I had, you know, kind of fear towards him, especially having children. But then um, his sister came to live in the home and she was addicted to drugs and also began selling drugs at the house. So comparatively, his crimes and his demeanor seemed they they weren't the problem. Wow. It actually, again, like it was just an interesting time to have the two, probably like even fear wise for me and like lack of experience to have drug sales, theft on top of and then criminals coming in and out of the house. Like all of that was really going on. All I of mean, it's going like, on. Police were showing up. Was yes. there like you didn't feel safe? No. I mean, one instance I, you know, I saw my my child was going to get off the bus and usually cut through that neighbor's house to get to our house and I looked out and onto the driveway there was a plainclothes policeman clearly a policeman (laughs) with his gun just standing on my driveway and I was like oh my gosh my son is just about to get home what am I going to do so I remember I just ran down the street and was like signaling to my son to not go through the yard so it was just Mm -hmm. this moment of like is this really my life? I mean, this is kind of like what I'm... This is like a suburban sort of... This is just a suburban, nice nice neighborhood. Good schools, everything. So I've lived in urban places and I haven't encountered these kinds of situations. So it was just, it was the juxtaposition, like having those things on top of each other. And where I thought, okay, like this is clearly at this point, 
I feel unsafe. So yeah. that's when I had to start thinking, what are other options besides kind of this individual befriending? So the decision point at this time was who in my community, not just my neighborhood, can help like address this longstanding, actually dangerous situation. Yeah. What options did you feel like you had at that point as you looked around? Sure. I think the most, like, I think it's almost a reflex is to call on an, an authority like the police. Yeah. And so we did do that. Again, we had the police doing this raid. The thing I didn't say was four hours after all the people in that home were arrested, four hours they were back out in the house. Mm. So it was this feeling of helplessness. And this this went on for months. This is like where you we call had, the police, they yes. show up and then there might even be a raid. They yes. get arrested and then they're back. Yes. They're okay. back selling within, you know, hours. Okay. So and then so I heard like I'd kind of collect information individually and like I'd, you know, communicate with people in the neighborhood about what, what I saw and what was going on. We could see everything probably the most clearly yeah. because of where our house was positioned. And I worked with the police actually intimately um, Mm -hmm. collecting information and those kinds of things. But there was this feeling of like the police aren't doing their job. That's Mm -hmm. kind of this. I didn't have that necessarily in my head, but that's the criticism I started to get back from different neighbors who are observing the situation. Like, why are they not taking care of this? And kind of me sticking with the police. Again, the police have been through the ringer for a Mm -hmm. long time. And I didn't really have a lot of. Ex- so you chose to kind of stay to stick with the the um, I'm going to stay in this process. Like you had neighbors who were getting frustrated yes. and just sort of like throw their hands up. Yes. I'm going to install more security systems. Yes. And put up a fence in my yard. <laughs> and I don't know, whatever. Like you definitely yes. could have hunkered down. Yes. Gotten angry at the police and gotten angrier and angrier. Yes. And and but you chose to continue to engage with mm-hmm. this difficult and seemingly not very effective process. Yes. I mean, I think that was the the real frustration point was just like, hey, this should be done by now. Mm. Like we've had police raids. Like what's wrong? Why aren't they finding what they're supposed to find? Why aren't they doing what they're supposed to do? But what was interesting during that, it was the longer I'm I'm talking like nine months, 10 months, up to a year. This is ongoing. Why didn't you just move at that point? (laughs) I mean, that would have been the ultimate bailout, right? I like where I live. (laughs) You know, like, I'm done with this. Well, what was funny is, I mean, all of us, we really like where we live. Mm -hmm. But um, this, what really changed for me again, and I think this happens a lot, is I was working fairly intimately, meaning like regularly with the police, just kind of chatting. And then I started to have conversations just saying, hey, like, do you know how this like what are some of the possibilities? What what can we, what are our options kind of because I had approached the police as if mm. they had this set plan and they would know exactly what to do. Mm. And what I was surprised about was they would come back and say, well, actually, these are the things that we can control and these are the things that we can't. And so that was kind of a revelation to me mm. that. They weren't like an end all be all of like social disorder, if that makes sense. Yeah. You learned through the process of engaging that it was way more nuanced. Yes. That the police were way more limited. Yes. In a lot of ways than you had realized. Yes. Yes. In in their ability to kind of fix problems. Yeah. I mean, they were, again, abiding by the law. So yeah. they were getting search warrants. They didn't just suddenly arrive. Because you called like, them up and said there's exactly. a deal going down. Because that, I think the expectation from neighbors was like, no, if you see something bad going on, the police just roll in and take care of business and mm. then it's done. Yeah. And it's kind of like just the mentality of like, 
if there's a problem, someone just come and handle it. I pay taxes, kind of take it away. So there was a, a, a shifting point for me when instead of saying the police needed to solve my problem, they still need to keep doing things. I realized, oh, like I have some experience. Like maybe there's something. I actually am slightly familiar with the the court system. Hmm. So I took the time to call up the clerk in the like the courts where there was a kind of a long ongoing case going on, and the clerk talked to me for thirty minutes, and I asked every sim- simple, silly question that I didn't know how to answer, and I learned what the legal situation was with that with the home next door. Hmm. And what was interesting is I had thought the police and the courts work side by side. And what I learned is that that's not necessarily the case. Hmm. So then I called the policeman back and I, we chat and I said, well, do you mind if I share something with you? And that was a weird shift for me. Where you're like, here's what I learned when I called the courts. (laughs) Yeah. Because I was expecting them as the authority to Hmm. tell me what to do. And I shared with them, these are some of the things I learned about the courts. And they said, oh, that's really interesting. Hmm. Kind of like, oh, I didn't I didn't know that. <laughs> so um, so for me, that was kind of the aha was like, wow, I didn't realize that I, ha- I could have an influence on this whole process of um, trying to deal with a, a the, large problem. The, yeah, the, the, like your I mean, where you assumed that the police would have all the authority and the knowledge they needed to fix this problem. And then when it didn't happen and it was taking too long and you could have moved or you could have just gotten angry and angry and angrier Mm -hmm. um, or tried to get people fired or whatever. You chose the path of like, what more can I understand or what more can Mm -hmm. I learn? I guess you stay curious is one way of saying that. And and in the process, you learn, oh, actually, I might be able to get us to a resolution. I might be able to help us to get to a resolution because the police can't and the courts can't do it on their own. Like, Yeah, I think what was tricky is, so I figured that out. And then the police, I was working with them, but it was still like, okay, well, we know this now, but we don't have jurisdiction over the courts. Yeah. And I'm like, well, who does? So then I'm like brainstorming. And then I, what I started to think of was who does have a relationship of influence in my community? Mm. Again, like, I've never worked closely with like a city council member. I mean, just personally, I I didn't know the mayor, but I just started to think, well, who does work with those people who like they can't tell a judge what to do, but they certainly could push on a court and say, hey, we have this case. Nothing's been looked at with it. Mm. Would you please be responsive to this neighborhood? Mm. So at a point where my neighbors were extremely annoyed with the police and just being like, hey, we're doing all this stuff and trying to work with them, but nothing's changing. That's when I said, okay, well, if it's uh, switching gears, mm-hmm. okay, I've, I've done what I can in this area. Now, can I influence, you know, city officials? Yeah. So I had people reach out to city officials. So you found people who did have the relationships. Yes. And that actually was critical. I, I know personally that the mayor has no idea who I am. But they know somebody else that I know. And so it was almost immediate once we contacted the mayor and the city council that there was the courts themselves were more forthcoming Hmm. in terms of their clerks letting us know what our options were. Again, like I, I didn't have a lot of influence, but I could try to bring the people together and again, see it as this long term project because. And so does that lead to resolution? Um, in our case, interestingly, 
um, once we actually fi- we actually found out, and again, I, I was working with other people in, who are involved in this court case, uh, that the courts had failed. They had they had the wrong contact information hmm. for the plaintiff. So hmm. that needed to be corrected. But if I hadn't pushed as much on those people, I don't think that would have been noticed. And then this is me just being fed up, but yeah. still trying to figure out what to do. Um, I, I actually contacted even attorneys. This was for free and yeah. just said, hey, when you have a situation like this, what do you, what are what are the options? And it was very clear what the best option was. And um, so I was able to relay that information. So what's interesting is sometimes we're the decision makers and sometimes we're actually sharing information with the decision makers. Yeah. So that really was my situation. And it can feel very like a powerless type of situation because I couldn't say yay or nay. And I had to be really careful about how I talked to people hmm. so that they didn't feel like I was blaming or accusing them for the issues that we had. But eventually, a key person in this whole situation was able to make a connection with the lawyer and the courts to move forward in a way that actually wasn't even a criminal process. Really? We, we so figured the whole time it was going to be a criminal process. That the, that the drug uh, yes. dealing would um, result in this person's arrest and imprisonment. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's a, not how it ended up. No, not at all. It actually was it was moved forward because of a civil eviction process, oh. which is compl- which was a really different frame. Even the plaintiff who had first started the criminal process had no idea that that's what was necessary. So, do you th- so you got them evicted, basically. Yes. Which Happy is Happy ending, I guess. It, it is. For some, your neighborhood. Some, yeah. So it, which, do you think you would have gotten there? It sounds like it may have just kind of been stuck in this perpetual, like, we're arresting them and then they're back, and we're yes. arresting them and yes. then they're back, we're arresting them and then they're back, if you had kind of not dug in <laughs> to the real frustration of it. Yes. And one thing that I learned in the process that was really disheartening, but it actually explained a lot, was mm-hmm. at least um, the state in which I live, drugs had been decriminalized. So those the arrests that came for drug dealing and taking were very slight. Hmm. So the fact that they were out in four hours had nothing to do with the determination of the police. It actually had to do with the state law that did not allow authorities to keep someone for those drug crimes. Hmm. So kind of what I unearthed was a larger issue that, okay, let's not sit here and just blame the police. Let's not, you know, fight each other. But there's something even in terms of legislation about and how we think about drugs, because once I actually had this experience, I started talking just to other casual friends Hmm. and they were like, oh, we had that ongoing for almost a year. It took so long to get that drug house out. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like that there are this is happening throughout, I imagine, the state. And there's people who feel similarly powerless. And I thought. Well, there's small things like we address that one situation with an eviction, right? That was like one simple gesture. But there's a whole system that's working to allow this to happen all over the place. So not I'm not saying I'm gonna, you know, become a big lobbyist or anything, but I'm I'm pretty open now with others in educating about no, this is how drug 
crimes work in our state. Mm. Think about that when you're voting for people. Think about that when you're electing, you know, you're looking at a a county attorney even or, you know, a state attorney. Their decisions and what they pass in terms of legislation, it makes a huge difference. So it sounds like you you feel kind of empowered and clearly (laughs) informed, like having gone through this process. For sure. And and satisfied in that you, you you feel safer in your community. But I interrupted you a moment ago. I mean, is it a like is it is it fully resolved? Do you feel like it's a fully happy ending for for your neighborhood? I think it's it's kind of like a tentative piece. I actually have this feeling that maybe maybe my neighborhood right now is like it's kind of calm and it's like feels like back to normal. Mm-hmm. But it's a little disturbing to me to know that this can happen at any time. And then the individuals who are doing drugs, that they don't have the resources they need either. Mm -hmm. So one other thing that I learned was that with the decriminalization of drugs, there was not the passing of rehabilitation money to get people clean. So they're out of my neighborhood but whose neighborhood are they in now if they haven't overcome their addictions? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like don't be in my neighborhood. It's kind of it's that whole idea of like not in my backyard. But there's these are real people who have, you know, they could have look good, productive lives. Did you come to see them as real people? Definitely. Yeah. One, this, the, the sister who actually was kind of the main person directing a lot of the bad activity next door. I hadn't I had met her before when she was clean and I knew what she could be like, a, a very kind and gracious person. And it was very apparent that she wasn't able to be that person when her addiction was directing her life. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I I did have a couple experiences where that was I was reminded of that and to hold the idea of like, okay, yes, we're I'm going for the safety of our neighborhood. But I also am trying to treat someone as a human being as well. Hmm. So I guess that's part of the bittersweet is like. Here's this person that is a is a person, a, yes. a, a human mm-hmm. being with uh, potential who you feel like you weren't actually able to get any kind of really positive outcome for her, unfortunately. Not yet. I mean, I think there's there's some benefit to her to having, again, a, a consequence of like not being able to live there. But then where do you live? Again, we have mm-hmm. I mean, these are huge issues of how we deal with you know, people who get out of prison, all those kinds of things. But at heart, I'm not just sat. I guess I'm not satisfied with just ridding my neighborhood of a problem that's probably going to go somewhere else mm. when it's something that we probably need to address more systematically and like over our in an overarching way rather than. But I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that we figured it out. <laughs> but there, the bittersweet is that I uncovered a whole system that others may be grappling with just as much as I did. Yeah. So, Marie, thank you for sharing that story. I mean, you're right. It's like, you know, we thought this was about a sex offender living next door, and it turned out to be something much bigger and different and complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, nothing's ever, like, linear in real life. You know, there's a lot of nuance to it. But I wonder if you have any idea what, what prepared you? Why Why did you make the choice that you made to 
to stick with it, <laughs> to use mm-hmm. the title of this series, right? Like, because um, it 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 doesn't seem like it was the easy choice. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, it sounds like you're you're glad you did. It led to a place, a, a lot of you know, a, a better outcome for you and for your neighborhood. But um, but but why? Like, how, why did you make that choice? Do you think instead of the easier choice to get angry, shut down, lock your doors, and complain. I actually had a brief conversation with my spouse about this because I was frustrated that he wasn't more concerned. And I I just asked him directly. I just said, maybe it wasn't the right way to say it, but I just (laughs) said, don't don't you care about what's going on next door? Mm. And he just said, I don't feel like there's anything I can do about it. And what was interesting is I felt the exact opposite. I felt like what more could be important? What more? This is such an important situation to be able to feel safe. And when you come home, I had other neighbors who felt fear constantly. I actually didn't feel completely scared all the time. I was just more frustrated, annoyed and kind of protective. Mm. But. Like, if you can't live in your own neighborhood in peace, there's something really wrong, kind of like with your society. So, but I felt what was interesting was the sticking with it was actually sticking with it, not just with people who are different, but over time. It took Mm. a lot more time than I would have wanted. But at each step, there were little pieces that came together. So part of it was kind of just stamina Hmm. of sticking with it long enough to weave. If it's a complex community problem, it's not going to have some simple answer like, oh, I'm going to call the police and they're going to arrest everybody and take them all away. That usually just does not happen. Human relationships are a little more complex. (laughs) So the idea that I had to, again, use even every once in a while, little experiences would be like, hey, you actually have met a lawyer who does something like this. I've never hired a lawyer, but I I know one. So I just called and like started asking questions or so kind of bringing together all different experiences. Yeah. Over time. But starting with it sounds like um, and the difference between, I guess, in this case, your husband, who mm-hmm. who uh, is like a lot of us, I think, tend to feel like when we're confronted with something it feels big. It feels it feels complicated. It feels threatening. And also, what good is it going to do if I get involved? I got no power in this situation. Um, you felt the exact opposite that mm-hmm. um, there has to be something I can do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, which maybe is innate. Maybe it's personality. Maybe you. Maybe it's something you've been trained. Uh, you know, but I do think I, I do wonder if that's an outlook that um, you know we have to kind of. It requires practice, also stamina to kind of be able to not be like completely overwhelmed and want to just check out when when we're confronted with what something that feels difficult mm-hmm. um and and sort of have enough i guess optimism that if i stick with it a little longer i might actually get to some other place i might not in which case at least i know yeah i think i mean not that i'm any like poster child but i think mm-hmm. of some of the people that have kind of driven big social movements even like you know, mothers against drunk driving or I mean, mm-hmm. anything like that, where once you're touched by something personally and you know how um, difficult or problematic something can be, then there's kind of this inner drive. I just thought, I mean, the moment I walked out on a Sunday morning and there were two addicts in a tent in my in, our, in the side yard 
and that followed, you know, one of my family members, I just thought, you know what, this is not okay. And I'm going to have to use the best of my experience, not just the best of my emotion, to try to figure it out. We apply our, like, all our faculties and intellect to these really pressing, like, business problems. Mm. But why don't we try to do that with our personal relationships and our neighborhoods and kind of put the best that we have to use there? That's kind of how I felt. Yeah. Instead, in let, instead of letting that be primarily the domain of our emotions. Yes. Our yes. Because I think, I think when we have fear about our personal safety and the safety of our family, it's very natural to just want to strike back and like protect. And I get that. But there's this, it's kind of a balance of like, okay, like, and that's what I, maybe I didn't say was I was trying to keep my family safe and create safety for our neighborhood. But then also I kept thinking like, what? situation would lead the people who are having trouble to not keep doing what they're doing. That's the part that's often missing in our culture is like, oh, I got to protect myself and my family. But then how does that affect these others who are still part of my my community that there's a balance there? Yeah. So much to think about. Thank you. Oh, sure. Thank you very much for talking us through that, for kind of putting it all out there for us. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks. It's a perfect example of this idea of stick with it that we have been toying with here at Top of Mind. And turning to you, the Top of Mind listeners, we would love to hear your story. It might not be as big and dramatic as the one you just heard from Marie. Um, You could check out our feed for some of the stories that uh, we heard from Sam Payne, who told a couple of Stick With It stories from his own life. Um, And there will be more coming your way here on the feed. And we'd love to hear yours, too, uh, to include you in this podcast series. So email topofmind at byu.edu. I'm Julie Rose. We'll talk soon.